kind of way where we've had some cold water. I was quite worried about that. In some things. Yeah. 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 So you pour it out. Yeah. Yeah. Still goes on. Hello. Hello and welcome. Welcome to this, this public forum, Rethinking the Strip, High Streets, Hinterlands, and Vacancy. We'd like to begin uh, with a greeting, Wiminjika. Uh, we acknowledge the Yalukit Wulam as the traditional owners of the land on which we gather. The Yalukit Wulam are part of the Bunwurrung, part of the greater Kulun Nation. We pay our respects to the land, their ancestors and their elders, past, present, and into the future. This forum is part of an exercise uh, under the sort of auspices today through the Melbourne School of Design. The Melbourne School of Design, which is part of the Faculty of Architecture, Building, and Planning at the University of Melbourne, has been collaborating with track consultants who themselves have been a part of the Bridge Road community in Richmond for the last 30 years. During October of this year, 2014, Track's entire national practice ran a design forum entitled Rethinking the Strip, focusing on the challenges facing traditional strip shopping precincts. Track adopted a shop for the month of October in Bridge Road and invited a Melbourne School of Design design studio with architects, landscape architects, and urban designers uh, students to test ideas and to exchange thoughts on the future of declining retail strip. So tonight's forum is really a sort of uh, extension of some of those conversations that developed first through the work of Tract and the work that their whole entire national practice looked at, particularly focusing on Bridge Road, but also extrapolating on the, that some of these issues extend beyond any specific retail strip in Melbourne or in fact in, in uh, Victoria to a number of locations across the country and the sort of future conditions, the changes and the real challenges that uh, are confronting retail strips uh, in the 21st century. So for, for tonight, what we want to do is bring together a panel to have really very short introductions, just sort of placeholders of certain ideas, certain positions, certain stances, and thoughts about the strip, and then start a conversation and a bit of a debate and discussion about that. I don't know if you noticed when you came in, but in the back of the room, there's a model of Bridge Road Richmond uh, that the students had produced. And this was also used as a sort of catalyst and a point of discussion. So as you're listening to the conversation, if you feel the need just to remind yourself, feel free to get up, look at the model, look at the sort of context, because we're talking about both its locality and the situation, but also about the form of the strip, the, the scale that we're talking about in terms of the neighborhood and the strip itself. And we're obviously talking about projections of what it might become and what it might need to become. My name is Donald Bates. I'm the Chair of Architectural Design at the, in the Melbourne School of Design at the University of Melbourne. And I'm also a Director of Lab Architecture Studio. On the panel, I'll begin just with a short introduction and then they'll each uh, give a four or five minute uh, pre-see of uh, some of the issues related to the strip, to high streets, hinterlands, and vacancy. 
Immediately to my left is uh, Helen Day, who's the founding director of Helen Day Urbanism. Next to her is Orlando Harrison, who's an associate director at Track Consulting here in Melbourne. Immediately to his left is Herschel Lands, who's the president of the Bridge Road Traders Association. Following on is Richard Jenkins, who's the research director in Victoria for Knight Frank Australia. Then we have Emma Appleton, who's the director of the Victorian Design Review Panel through the Office of the Victorian Government Architect. And finally, but not least, is Ivan Rechevik, who's a principal with Rechevik Architects. So we'll begin with Helen, uh, with just an introduction from her point of view. Okay, can everybody hear me? Apparently I go close. Um, so I was involved in the teaching of the Urban Design Studio at the Melbourne University. So I just wanted to give you four big ideas that emerged from that studio in urban design. So essentially across all of the projects, there was a strong interest, interest in reframing Bridge Road from a regional shopping destination to a relocalised place for local people. So based very much within a big sea of dwellings with a lot of residents at their doorstep and a recognition that 70% of people go to the high street not to shop but to engage, to casually work and to basically enjoy the interconnections. And also prevalent across all of the projects was a big interest in breaking down the two kilometre front line of the shop facades into other spatial forms. So the first idea I'll call Beyond Shopping. Essentially it was about locating and anchoring a public institution in the thick of the high street to um, activate and ignite a new form of value for the high street. Some of these projects looked at reinventing the town hall as a new democratic space in the public domain or, or reorienting um, the, the Epworth Hospital out into the street. So using ideas of interface and reprogramming to bring these institutions back into the high street as real players to, to give new identities to the high street. There were new forms of institutions introduced into the high street, some around arts programming, art exchange, and bringing together the huge critical mass of creatives within that municipality back into, the, into a space and an institution in the high street. The second idea was quite sophisticated. It re revolved around the idea of reinvesting back into the tram stops on Bridge Road. It picked up on a very important urban design initiative to connect the tram stops with their sphere of influence, what those tram stops could bring to the public domain and to the land uses in that precinct. One very special project looked at um, a library and a knowledge exchange connected directly with the tram stop with some clear public domain moves, connecting the, the tram stop, very high quality tram stop, back into the public domain with a public library, public, public ideas store, new incubators and businesses, and new types of housing. The third idea was a very popular one for the studio. It looked at the importance of the hinterland, the areas behind the high street, the high street and again the hinterland on either side of the high street and the important interrelationships between these spaces and what these new experience could, experiences could bring. Students discovered 
important new values in the hinterlands, the areas behind the high streets, what we called the unregulated areas. They discovered kids bouncing basketballs, shooting hoops. They discovered a garage that had opened up for a dining experience for locals. They discovered archaic forms of services that clearly needed a reinvention um, and questioned what this could bring to new types of housing and new types of businesses on the high street. And their interventions were pretty simple. They were about subtracting shops out of the high street to make interconnections, perhaps introducing some new types of arcades into the high street right through the vacant shop fronts. Um, and then bought with that, reinventing the actual architectures and, and vacant spaces behind those shop fronts. The fourth idea was around housing, the idea of living on, in, around the high street, a housing-led proposition, but bringing new diversity to housing for Richmond based on their, dem their demographic studies. So clearly, rise in cert certain types of new housing and the ability to use that as a way to build up the critical mass and diversity on the high street. But clearly, the high street being the heart and centre of that new type of housing. So many of these propositions explored breaking down this linearity of the high street and creating new forms of economic footprint, social footprints, and reconfiguring the morphology of the street. So in conclusion, I think design research is super important to the strategic end of policy. It's actually these 13 weeks that some of the students who are here, good, <laughs> um, spent interrogating in quite strong detail land uses, activities, built form, public domain, movement, and then feeding it back into the catalytic proposition for the new high street. Thank you. Thank you, Helen. Orlando. Thanks, Helen. Um, so, as Don mentioned, um, FACT took on this idea of uh, rethinking the strip and holding this ideas forum um, as a design and planning firm, um, but probably more importantly as a long-term resident um, and participant of the Bridge Road precinct. Uh, so we've had our offices and our 70-odd staff um, located just off Bridge Road for approximately 30 years, so we really feel part of the precinct. Um, and, and what we unearthed through this Ideas Forum um, was some pretty interesting and challenging ideas. Um, <coughs> and amongst this, the variety of conversations and the streams of ideas and analysis, um, that the, the little section that I've chosen just to talk about today um, was one that really interested us, and that was around um, the belief um, within the people that came along, and both our staff and external um, collaborators and, and members of the community, um, that the main street is really an environment that people very much love and they feel a real um, strong empathy with um, and that maybe it just needs a bit of fostering and nurturing and, and a bit of help along in the case of Bridge Road. Um, and what came out strongly was that there's this sort of combined wisdom um, amongst the people that live in the area and work in the area and operate in the area and perhaps even visit the area, um, that if that combined wisdom could be captured um, in a way... Um, there, there's a huge amount of power in that and that many of the local community and the local people who are really interested in this idea were willing to take that on. And so we're starting to unearth that idea that that's not often a thing that's tapped into by um, designers or planners or, or in fact, um, different levels of government. 
And really, when we started unpacking that, that combined wisdom of the community um, really talked to, when it, when it was boiled down, it came down to the human experience and that really, um, the way you, you interact with a place, a, a corridor or a main street strip like Bridge Road um, comes down to the experience that you have as you're walking along it or you're taking a tram along it or you're visiting it or in, if in fact you live in the area. Um, and that was really about the human scale. So it was that, you know, sometimes we call it the first three metres of the street, you know, that bit under the shop awning and, and, and the footpath that you walk on and the shop fronts that you interact with. Um, and, and that makes it really inclusive and tangible and it takes it out of the, the hands of, um, you know, some of us experts in the, in the area or, or consultants and really gives it back to everyone that uses the street um, can be a part of that, that experience and the way forwards for somewhere like Bridge Road. Um, and we found part of the conversations were really that that part of the street, that human street level experience, um, is the part that people really think embeds the character and the sense of identity for the street. So it, yes, it might be about big developments and heights and zonings and all sorts of different regulations, um, but actually what people take away is the experience they have along the street. Um, so it's those spaces where um, they can sit and it's sunny when they want sun and it's shady when they want shade. Um, and where the landscape and, and street trees and seating and lights and all these sorts of things that add up to those really interesting places and spaces for people. Um, and so really what we found and what we heard out a lot of these conversations were that if you can draw on this combined wisdom of the, the local community and apply it to that street level, um, you've got quite a powerful thing and it's in some ways it's that bottom up rather than the top down approach. Um, and perhaps taking a bit more of a sort of a long life, loose fit approach where you're flexible and adaptable as things change. And we know that things, particularly in the retail space, have changed uh, quite rapidly for Bridge Road. So, and, and that long life, loose fit approach enables you to really play up that, that street level experience and make it a great place for people to come and enjoy and visit. Um, and you can continue to draw upon and engage the, the local and that combined wisdom. So really the, the, the four points that I sort of grabbed and, and wanted to reinforce just quickly were um, building that engagement with the local community and taking that combined wisdom and then doing something really useful and, and interesting with it. Um, concentrating on the street level experience to create those great places for people to come and, and feel like there's a strong identity for the street. Um, designing the future for somewhere like Bridge Road or any Main Street strip hand in hand with um, that combined local wisdom, so not forgetting about it, not engaging with it and then putting it to one side, um, rather than just relying on top-down approaches like regulations or a structure plan or those sorts of things. And the last thing was that really came out strongly, I think, um, across a whole lot of conversations was doing it through authenticity um, and making a really strong identity. And if you've got that, you've got a basis to build um, both retail and development and residential and also all those other parts that we know are important. So. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Herschel, it's your time. This is activist Herschel. Now, for the record, for the first 20 years, from 1860 to 1880, Richmond was run out of a pub. So um, many of the problems we now inherit come from that period. 
Um, <laughs> what I got out of the track forum was change, this concept of change. How do you go about bringing about change? I do want to talk about that, but before I do, I just want to quickly say a few things of, of the, the remarks I made at the track conference. I talked about the tensions of change. Um, the Bridge Road was desperately in need of vision. Um, it was an originally a, a mid-19th century gold rush type of town. It was essentially residential. It became industrial at the end of the, uh, the 19th century, early 20th century, and now it's become residential again. It's a story of Melbourne slums, its suburbs, its immigrants, and now gentrification. It started in 1842 as a subdivision. The precinct has become a, now a complex battleground with three arterial roads servicing the east-west commute. And you've got land economics driving high-density urbanisation in the absence of a, an overall planning strategy. And you can tell the sort of conflicts. We've got Yarra Council uh, continually at war now with the state government. Uh, the last election it was Clearways. This election it's the tunnels. Uh, so you've got this continual conflict over roads, parking and public transport. The tram routes that we've inherited service Melbourne's long, sprawling shopping strips. And these now conflict with parking and traffic movement as Melbourne populations increase. Whilst the 21st century commuter has expectations of fast, efficient, but also equal opportunity public light rail. So without planning, urban planning, the road infrastructure, the one that we've inherited in Bridge Road, can marginalise the pedestrian and consumer, and that's where my orange vest comes in. So I'm going to actually stop there. Um, oh, I'll just make some... The, uh, no, I don't want to worry about that. What I got out of the track conference was this, this idea of change. And then I heard Orlando, somebody was telling... The, they brought in all their guests from around Australia. They said, we're going to go and walk around Bridge Road, but we don't want you to cross the road. You can only cross the road at the, the lights. For some reason, Bridge Road was perceived to be a danger, an occupational health and safety, da uh, occupational health and safety danger. And I'm thinking to myself, if it's a, a danger for professional people who more or less are able-bodied and quite youthful and, <laughs> you know, what does it represent for people who are mobility-challenged, elderly, uh, people with pushers, people with shopping trolleys, kids, school kids, what happens to them? Where does the street fit in? There's something like a kilometre between light and light. That's a long distance. And so I went down to Bunnings, I purchased a lollipop sign, this orange vest, and I became the lollipop man in Bridge Road. And Orlando makes a really good point. People come up to you with lots of conversations and tell you all about what Bridge Road should be. And it's an amazing experience what I've actually learned being a lollipop man. Um, but on a serious note, I did challenge Vic Roads. I challenged their duty of care. I challenged their duty of care to build things, build infrastructure in the street, but forget about pedestrians. Building things and forgetting about commuters. How do people cross the road to access a tram stop. A very simple, basic thing. My wife said it's like building a house without a front door. People want to be able to access a tram stop. So for the last three weeks, four weeks, I've been stopping traffic in Bridge Road 
allowing people to cross the road. Very simple, very basic thing. Last Saturday afternoon, I helped nearly 100 people across Bridge Road at this point. There was one elderly lady who had a little uh, shopping trolley with, um, you know, a little walking frame with wheels, and there was another daughter with an elderly mother. There was no way known they could have crossed the road without assistance. We've had a lot of people who are, uh, I say, mobile challenged. They're, they've come out of the hospital. Some of them have got limbs, some have got walking sticks. They all need help crossing the road. And I think our statutory uh, authority of big roads has failed our community pretty badly in that respect uh, by not, being, not providing tram stops with a uh, pedestrian crossover point. Okay, you're. My, that, my, that's five minutes, so can, I can wrap it up. Another hour if you like. No, no, I know you can go for it. <laughs> okay, I will wrap it up. Okay. Um, so, wrapping it up, um, change is about taking ownership of the street, and I've done that, and uh, I'll talk more about it. In a bit. <laughs> okay, great. Thank you, Linda. Richard. <laughs> yeah, I suppose I, I come from it from a, uh, a property real estate perspective, and uh, following on from the, the previous conversation on the panel, that um, I think what I'm going to talk about is sort of the past, the, the present and, and the future of what we're seeing for retail strips. Certainly Bridge Road's vacancy is not alone in the retail market. It's probably the epicentre of the retail vacancies in the strips. So currently Bridge Road has a vacancy of 20%. To put that in perspective, the average is about 4% for the last 10 years and two years or three years ago it was actually 4%. So it has blown up dramatically. Really, I suppose that has been through almost a perfect storm. Whether it's um, soft retail leasing, uh, soft retail spending conditions, uh, online retail, um, even soft uh, consumer confidence levels. So all these things have impacted retail. And what I would like to say is, it's not Bridge, Bridge Road alone. So we monitor at night, Frank, ten of the top Melbourne retail strips, and I think six of them are at record high vacancy levels and that's the highest they've seen in 10 years. So these range from Chapel Street to Burke Road in Camberwell. Uh, we also monitor Ackland Street in Kilda, Church Street in, in Brighton, Puckle Street in Moody Pond. So it is quite a varied uh, server that we do and it's consistent across all those strips. Really what uh, we are seeing is that the more convenience based shopping is strips are performing better than some of the fashion based and the retail numbers have been certainly soft in the fashion compared to the food and that is something that we have seen so over the last few years we're seeing more of the fashion retailers exiting these strips and we're seeing more cafes and coming in into those strips replacing those fashion uh, tenants we're also seeing a divergence between prime and secondary strips so what i'm saying with that is that uh, Chapel Street, for instance, is, is a very long strip like Bridge Road as well. And we're seeing tenants take the opportunity to relocate on that strip and really go into the top, top spots on that strip. So for Chapel Street, for instance, opposite uh, Jam Factory is really the, the top location and we're seeing a lot of attraction in that sort of precinct. Where some to the, the fringes of the commercial roads, um, Turak Road to a lesser degree, but we're seeing some tenant relocations from that market. But what I would like to stress is that it's not Bridge Road alone and we are seeing it even in the shopping centres. Uh, I think the strips all have 
I suppose, the unique challenges of being owned by many different landlords. And whereas a shopping centre would have difficulties with a number of tenants, but are probably old, able to, to, I suppose, wear those um, challenges of those individual tenants and help them out from time to time. Whereas individual private landlords, typically private investors, have not the same capacity to uh, offer rent rebates um, or even just um, refurb a, a location for the sake of it. So it, what what we are seeing is a softness across the retail industry. In terms of the future, I actually think we are have passed the worst of the retail strips. I think the, the changing nature of the residential developments coming into many of the retail strips, Bridge Road, Burke, uh, Burke Road, Camberwell, uh, Chapel Street, they're attracting a number of uh, residential developments to really um, pick up on the attraction of these unique um, destinations and they are sought after by investors alike. So I think the increased foot traffic will help the tenants slowly um, and I believe that that will aid but I also think that uh, the retail strips, it's, it's not a magic bullet and it will take a, uh, I suppose an approach from all uh, interested parties, whether it's the tenants, the landlords, uh, the councils, everyone has to do their bit to uh, facilitate the, uh, I suppose, the, the growth of the, the strips and, and as Herschel said, the changing nature. I mean, we all knew Bridge Road probably 10 years ago as the uh, discount fashion capital of Melbourne, whereas now with DFOs um, and internet retailing, we, we, it has to change its, its nature. So um, I think change is inevitable, but it's, it's not hopeless as well. Thank you, Richard. Emma? Um, I wasn't involved uh, in uh, the tract um, thing or Melbourne Uni, but um, and I'm not as familiar with Bridge Road, so forgive me. I'll start with an observation about when I moved to Melbourne about five years ago from the UK, and I was just amazed at the length and number of high streets um, across Melbourne in the metro area, particularly when you relate these high streets to the relatively low residential densities that surround them. The Glen Ferry Road, Sydney Road, high streets of Malvern Chapel and Church, the high streets of the inner north stretching from Westgarth to Preston, Brunswick Street, Gertrude and Smith. They were the sort of the streets that I um, became familiar with. I understood the relationship to trams, but was surprised by the kilometres of variable retail punctuated by civic buildings, public spaces, with offices down the side streets. To a new person in the city, they, they were hot spots of good shopping and urban spectacle. Um, but in a lot of cases, the quality of the public realm was pretty poor uh, in the majority of areas, and shops were marginal. But the streets just kept on going. Having been involved as an urban designer in the UK, working with multidisciplinary teams on city and town centre strategies, we always push, pushed for reduction in the length of high streets and defining their extent. By consolidation, and this was working with economists and uh, retail people, investment could be focused on uplifting the quality of the public realm and diversity of offer, responding to and developing distinctive identity and character to attract and hold people and make them choose shopping on the streets rather than drive to a shopping centre. This was even before the current challenges retailers are facing, before the on online retail impacted heavily on the high street. Often we found the successful high streets had things in common which underpinned their success, and many of which have already been stated. One of which was they served the local population first and were destinations second. 
the residents, the office workers, the school kids coming to the area daily, both in terms of function and identity. High streets where you could do a number of things in one visit, buy a paper, milk, drop off dry cleaning, pay a bill, meet a friend for a meal, take the kids to a park. These appeared to be more sustainable streets. Places where you did not need to spend money or trade to spend time and uh, to stay. And places where the identity of the local population was apparent in the character of the place and differentiated it from other places and resonated with the people of that area. When they became distant from the frequent users, they became less attractive to visitors. And I would, I mean, Ackland Street for me, I think has lost that connection with the local people. And I think that they're, you know, Port Phillip are trying to work through that at the moment. Another key aspect of successful high streets were those which had strong transport networks around them, not necessarily down them, um, but with public transports on the high street, but with excellent secondary and tertiary routes for cars and pedestrians, giving access often to the backs of the high streets and then making the connections through to the high street. Good car parking in behind the strip and a multitude of pedestrian connections in close proximity to where you wanted to go so you could choose where you entered the high street. Often we found it was a change in the broader connectivity of the road, a road closure, a rerouting of traffic, which slowly eroded people's mental map of that place and made them choose to go elsewhere. And as, as I've said, there's plenty of opportunities in Melbourne in very close proximity to one, one another. Good high streets did not just rely on retail. They had diversity of uses in around them, schools, commercial, civic offices, parks, all connecting into the linear strip. And importantly, lasting high streets had enduring urban quality and a strong identity. They had generous footpaths on the sunny side. They made crossing the street easy and often. They are maintained and cared for and offer weather protection to people who use them. A lot can be learned, I think, from the more local high streets in Melbourne uh, in terms of their offer and quality. You know, the local high streets, the secondaries, the Rathdown streets, North Carlton, Station Street, Fairfield. Differentiation and offer and, char and character are key. And as a final point, I believe that high streets, like city centres, rise and fall. The ebb and flow is cyclical. Populations reach critical mass, sustain business and diversity. Those areas become popular. The rents rise. The businesses then become marginal within them or they've got to change the way they engage in those spaces. And they turn over and then vacancies begin. There is limited investment in the public realm during boom time. And I think that's something we've got to address. The storm of online retail, expansion of the super shopping centres, increase in mobility and choice. It's time for a change in the way we manage our high streets. Sometimes they need to reach bottom before people realise they need to change their mode of operation. Serious, ma serious managements of these streets are required. More collective approaches and partnerships are required between individual land and property owners, the traders, communities and city agencies. The business improvement districts in New York are one of the models which are discussed where it's a formal organisation and it's going on from um, the traders associations which exist here. But it's very much about dedicated promoting business development and improving an area's quality of life. They supplement services such as sanitation and maintenance in, the U in New York, public safety, visitor services, marketing and promotional campaigns, which I know is done in Bridge Road, capital improvements and beautification for the area all funded by specialist ass assessments, uh, spe special funds paid for by property owners within the precinct because it brings value back to their investments. And so I believe good and deliberate governance of these streets is essential. In the pop-up and digital world, high streets need to constantly reframe their offer and investment needs to be sustained. And you know, in a more dense city, these spaces become more critical 
because they're going to be serving as really important public spaces uh, for, for the increased uh, residential, uh, increased populations. Okay. Thank you very much, Emma. <laughs> Ivan. Thank you. Uh, I have been a critic um, for the uh, High Street studio at um, uh, Melbourne University, and, um, but my interest in it uh, goes from having um, settled in South Fitzroy, going back to about 1987, and actually seeing the whole of the High Street transform. I think um, there been a number of points made about the history of High Streets and how they ebb and flow, and that goes right back to the very beginning. Uh, when I first um, arrived in Fitzroy, Brunswick Street was uh, dead. There were probably two or three tenancies that were operating, and 20% is pretty good by that standard. <laughs> but um, it's been interesting to hear what uh, the other panellists have said, because uh, there's been this um, sort of intensity or focus on High Street. Um, However, I think the problem is one that has to do with the ecology of the city as a whole and also uh, this idea that the city is a symbiotic or organism. That, you know, we, if we want to go, if it's hot, we might want to go to the bay. If it's a bright sunny day and it's kind of crisp, we might we might want to walk the high street. Now it doesn't matter where you live in Melbourne, you can get in a car or get on a tram and you can use the city as a whole. So to think of the high street as a kind of single phenomenon, I think is a mistake. I think that uh, first of all, if you can see the sort of crises that are happening around, and they're not really crises because it's been far worse, but the problems that are centred on High Street today are um, to do with um, them being somewhere in between the city centre and um, outer suburban. So it means you have peak hours where uh, you have clearways, you have all kinds of conflicting interests, and now with um, increasing numbers cycling, some of them are dangerous. They've now changed light um, functions so that they allow cyclists through first, then traffic to follow. And you have competing interests between traders, cyclists, cars, parking, clearways, etc., etc. And then, of course, you have the hinterland, which is or, or the side streets and back streets. And one of the inter interesting sort of phenomena uh, uh, that have happened recently is that traders, it's come from industry, have started uh, because they can pay half the rent, a third of the rent, developing uh, the back streets. There are places like Industry Bean that store their coffee, have a restaurant, have their admin, do their whole operation on something like about 30000 a year for a huge warehouse, whereas in Brunswick Street, you're paying 100000 for a uh, five-metre frontage. Mm. And this is, uh, again, putting pressure on the high street. But I think we've got a kind of a polarity of attitude in terms of how we organise our city in the sense that we're creating these canyons, which are high streets, where everyone, there's a full-on competition. Rents are the highest. Trams, buses, bikes, people. Um, and then behind that, you know, 50 metres, you've got nothing. You can, uh, it can be peak hour in Brunswick Street, you walk 50 metres, there's nothing in the street. It's all because the residents and their interest groups have 
put in all these roadblocks, dead ends, roundabouts, speed humps. They've take, taken it over. But there are, uh, there's a spreading. It would be better that we had a, uh, what, a three, four-dimensional city where you can, instead of just going up and down these channels, we can also penetrate into the high streets. Uh, we should be allowing higher densities there. We should, we should also be um, looking at management systems that manage peak hour um, uh, and uh, uh, low usage times. In other words, if there is a peak hour, you can put in bollards. You can uh, introduce paving in the streets where instead of going up and down from pavements to roads, you can and where they have neckings, you can combine the streets and actually use them when there are festivals and so on and so forth. Um, and we should also have councils doing things like buying private land and introducing more public open space behind the high streets, allowing developers to get concessions if they do the same so they can increase densities. Um, so I think, in uh, summary, I think that it's not just... It, it, looking at the high street in isolation is a mistake. You have to look at it in terms of what's immediately adjacent. You also have to look at its position between the city centre and uh, Greater Melbourne. And when you look at it with that sort of perspective, it really requires that it's not just the local authority fighting state government, that it is uh, a collaboration of authorities and residents who are saying, look, we're all in this together. It is the city of Melbourne. It's not the high street versus the residents immediately behind or uh, versus Vic Roads who are trying to get traffic in and out of the city, et cetera, et cetera. It really has to be solved um, collaboratively uh, by all these authorities. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ivan. Okay, thank you to keeping more or less to time. That was good, it's useful. No, that's, no, that's good. Uh, I, I just wanted to, I wanna pick up on a few of the, the comments were made and they come back to me, I guess from my own experience, uh, coming to Melbourne about 17 years ago or so and uh, going up and I mean, I live in, in the city uh, so for me, uh, Bridge Road is sort of a far way away, uh, and it's not part of my daily life cycle. But, but having been there over many occasions over the last uh, 15, 16 years, there seemed to be an identity to Bridge Road, which certainly has changed in the last four or five years. But I wonder, my experience of that would suggest that in fact, uh, hearing some of the commentaries, that in a certain way, Bridge Road success was also the, uh, the initiation of its failure, current failure, which is to say that it seemed to me to become monocultural. Mm. That is that the success of the discount fashion that took place, which was a huge draw. I mean, I remember when my, my relatives, my mother, my sister, and other friends came, we would go down Bridge Road and and do the shop all the way, you start at one end, walk down, cross the street, walk all the way back. But in a certain sense, the, the, the ease of which that permitted in terms of the density of fashion retailing also meant that it sort of became static. 
And so I think what Ivan, one of the things you talked about, when you talk about an ecology, you know, a true ecology is about a much more heterogeneous mix of operation so that when fashion is low, something else can take up the slack. But when fashion hits a bump, and I think this is a little bit what Richard and what Orlando were talking about, uh, you know, there's nowhere to go because everybody's doing the same thing. So when everybody's in trouble, then the whole thing is in trouble. So I'm just curious, maybe Richard, you were talking a little bit about the, the transitions that are happening through retail and, and commerce. Uh, you know, what are those experiences elsewhere? I mean, are there other places where that mix is much more thorough? Or do we see the kind of identity of these high streets defined by the particularity of their identity? Yeah, I, th I think that's certainly what your, your points are true. Um, some of the more convenience-based shopping are, we, we, we found are performing better. And with the convenience-based shopping I'm talking about, banking, food, supermarket, um, cafes, they, they do have that, uh, that diverse mix. Um, and I know we're talking about retail, but if we flick it to office, we've, we've seen the same in the office market, for instance, with Brisbane and Perth, have both obviously been focused heavily on the resources and are now in drastic trouble now because they've only focused on those sectors. Mm -hmm. In the GFC, Sydney came under tremendous pressure because they're all focused to, towards the finance sector. Surprisingly, Melbourne actually did quite well because it's diverse and it's boring, really. I mean, it's it's got a good mix of professional services, bit of banking, bit of uh, superannuation industry, and, and its diverse nature meant it was insulated. We don't have the peaks and troughs like the other cities, but it performed well, and I think that's the same in the retail strips. Orlando? Don, I was just going to say, that there was an interesting proposition that came out of uh, one of the final sessions of the forum, which was that the, um, the outlet shopping portion of Bridge Road's history was really an aberration, and, and that, that, that you know, over time it had morphed through a whole lot of different life cycles, and which is what uh, Herschel was touching on. But that really, as you say, that outlet shopping became uh, monocultural, and that now perhaps it's starting to get back to what it could be, mm -hmm. and perhaps what it should be. Um, and, and I think that the most obvious comparison with that is Swan Street. Um, and, you know, as, as an office and some of our um, tr track people are here, um, at any one lunchtime there's, there's staff spilling out onto Bridge Road, but there's lots of staff walking down to Swan Street because it's buzzing away with places to eat and places to go to the bank. And not that anyone goes to the bank anymore, but, but um, and then there's hairdressers and there's um, travel agents and there's a Coles and all these sorts of things. And I think that, that part of Bridge Road really lost that. And no, no, that's true. And Swan Street has really only picked up, well, probably in the last three or four years um, in some ways. And, and the second part of that is, um, and we talk a lot about retail, but uh, employment, just as people working in the area, um, there's not... You know, there's not that body of people that can that can or are working around uh, Bridge Road, um, and there's not, um, as, as Ivan said, quite often you get 30 metres back from the Main Street strip, and you're back to the the traditional single-storey terrace, single-fronted terrace, quite often. Um, so you know, our, our, us as a company being um, located. 40, 50 metres off Bridge Road, if we had to up and move, there's actually no options for us as an employer with people that then go and take part in the street to shift anywhere on Bridge Road because there's just the, 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 the architectural typologies and the lot mix and all of those factors. 
um, make it quite hard from an, an, an office employment sort of scenario as well. Mm -hmm. One, I, I want to ask this to the whole panel. Uh, so we're talking a lot about bridge roads and the problems and the, the real difficulty, economic difficulties, the social difficulties uh, of, of, of what's happening. The question would be, then why are places like Swan Street and, say, Smith Street suddenly so busy? What, I mean, is it, is it a consequence, and maybe this goes back to Richard and, and even Herschel, is it a consequence that these were areas that were downtrodden, so suddenly the rents were very cheap, and it allowed for a kind of entrepreneurial uh, investment mm. of that change? What, why are they suddenly busy and active? Yeah. First of all, I've been in retail a very long time. Retailing is a very dynamic industry. It changes. And it flows. Even within streets, you can see retailing sort of ebbing and flowing up and down the street. And it's very much rent-based, opportunity-based, but it's also space-based. Um, in the moment, one of our strategies in Bridge Road is to try and create spaces where people can take chances um, and people can experiment. And so we're working very hard to encourage the council and the state government to adopt um, more facilitative policy settings that allow change to take place. Um, and we think that the street will adapt a lot faster if we can break some of those sort of constraints. Um, and, and that's very important in any sort of shopping centre. And, and, you know, all shopping centres have had their good days and they have their bad days. It's, it's about management and moving out there and, and, and creating opportunities. And I think that's, that's mm. where we are in, in our cycle anyway. Mm -hmm. Ivan, did you want to say something? Because you've done a study on Smith Street, so you yes. must be an authority. Well, um, I'd like to cast a slightly different perspective on it. Uh, if you look at the evolution of uh, Brunswick Street, for instance, it started off as grunge. And uh, they're the, uh, the first entrepreneurs would go in there with second-hand furniture and second-hand everything and, uh, you know, half-paid half waitresses, and you name it. It was really desperate. Having established the business and the um, black cat did and a lot of others <laughs> bakers and so so they anyway um, they then had something to sell and so you had this catapulting of you know small um, uh, let's say low budget business that sells to a higher budget and it, it keeps on going at grade up so what's happened as uh, Don suggested is that. Uh, in uh, Fitzroy, at least, is that Smith Street is now taking over. It has the best restaurants, and they're not, you know, they're not, um, they're a higher class of restaurant. It's a higher class of service. It's harder to get in. And that, of course, is going to increase the competition in, in Brunswick Street. Brunswick Street will come back. Mm. It's really the nature of the ebb and flow of uh, retail in, in the inner city. But I still think that um, we're still talking too much about the high street. And I think that it really is what's happening now, for instance, with places like uh, south of Johnson, which is uh, a, a different kind of cafe concept. I mentioned industry bean. There are a lot of side street cafes and businesses that are opening up. And the edge that they have is they're not paying high street rents. Also, they're offering a totally different environment. 
you're not st in in a place that is full of um, noise, traffic at different times. You can get respite. You uh, into the leafy streets, enjoy a different kind of commercial experience because uh, people have moved back into the area. But I think that um, we still have this sort of bipolarity of of uh, planning focus in the sense that the high streets considered the high street, the back streets are considered uh, residential. There isn't this idea that the city is a kind of a hybrid a symbiotic thing and that you can have coexistence, you can develop public open space in areas that have been um, uh, largely subdivided, that you have a different sort of vision where the city goes not just along the high streets but it goes in the true sense of the grid so that you open up some of these dead ends, perhaps get the bikes off the main streets where they're competing with trams and trucks and and so on and so forth. I think I've digressed a bit, uh, Don. But no, no, no. Uh, I think yeah. no. I think that's good. I, I, I actually I want Helen to come in because I think within the studio one of the themes that did develop was this notion of the hinterland. But, mm. but before she does that, if anybody wants to ask a question, can you please just uh, go and stand by the mic here? Uh, there's a mic here over on my left hand side, close to the bar. Mm -hmm. If you have a question, just please stand there, and as soon as Helen's made her comment, then we'll take questions from the audience. Um, I mean, yeah, as I mentioned before, I think there was a fascination in the studio about the hinterland, so there were some kind of interesting discoveries about, I mean, one in particular was a garage operating as almost like a private public dining room um, initiated. So. This is interesting and I think it gets to the heart of, uh, of something that Orlando touched on and that is um, the investment of individual operators and the need to actually incentivize that level of innovation. And I would say that's probably a clue into some of the more successful high streets at the moment. I think there's, um, it was touched on in the studio too, a level, around, a level of vulnerability around gentrification. So. There's this quite fine line between the authentic investor, um, the stayers, I think, in Bridge Road, it's very interesting. It's the tofu zealot. So you're kind of getting your very high quality tofu. And he's also preaching about the provenance of that offer. You've got the Lyacondelli, the, the second, third generation um, young man running that shop will go and tie the shoelaces of his customers who are too elderly to reach their feet. I mean, these are actually small, quite fine-grained anecdotal um, exchanges on the high street, but they're certainly not something that we associate with the Emporium. It's probably not something that we would associate even in our imagination with Bridge Road at the moment, but it probably does point to Swan Street. And in Swan Street, we're getting, I think at the moment, some very interesting exchanges. So the tattoo artists, that you can actually see the, the craft occurring next to the bookstore owner who will happily spend half an hour with you um, finding odd books for your nephew because you're so out of touch. Or, <laughs> um, and, and so it goes. So there's a real variegation, but it's not just about retail. So I think it's about hedging your risk, if you like, if you look at the ecology of the city. Um, you certainly don't want to go down the monocultural stream. And I think 
for Bridge Road, this is an enormous opportunity to reinvent itself and I think it points to some of the things that Emma was talking about, that there's a, a mix and a vibrancy associated with public domain, with childcare services, social infrastructure, high quality um, public transport, the switching between high streets, easy access, all these kind of things. So. Yeah, um, I mean, there, there the, these themes were touched on a lot with the students, um, and certainly the hinterland and the values associated with the kind of the grit and the grain of the back streets, and and one student was I think bold enough to position this as the new prosperity. Um, <laughs> this is important stuff to revalue and rethink. So we can't continue to go down the mantra that we've been down, or we'll keep getting what we've got. <laughs> Okay. Robert, did you want to ask a question? Hi. Yes, um, my name's Robert Buckingham. I'm uh, creative director for M Pavilion, so delighted to see many, so many people here. Um, uh, we're surrounded by people exercising their bodies, so it's nice to see people exercising their brains. Um, previously, I've done some work in the retail. I worked uh, with the City of Melbourne on a retail strategy. And I think the City of Melbourne have done a great job in terms of... Um, understanding that they had to have a strategy for retail. They had to, they understood that there <coughs> was uh, the importance of variety in the city. So there was, the, you know, improving the department stores, improving um, the high end or the luxury market, but also acknowledging how important um, independent stores and specialty stores were in the mix. So getting the mix right. A city also, I suppose, the city of Melbourne, has the benefit of also having a great cultural um, background or, and so understanding that, that retail is but one part of the experience. It's so culture is very much important part of that. I also, when we, when we did that research, we looked at, around the world at different places. And what surprised me was in England, for instance, that many of the high streets were actually owned by one individual. We imagine, in Australia, of course, most high streets are owned by, like, hundreds of, small, of one, one owners. But in England, whole areas of streets are actually owned by, you know, the, the Duke of Westminster or whomever. And so, therefore, they behave a lot more like um, shopping malls and provide incentives mm -hmm. and give a particular character to an area or don't let certain retailers in or balance it. So the question I would have is... Could you imagine a future where uh, you would encourage the city of Yarra to provide an incentive to um, a property developer who was prepared to purchase a larger number of stores if they were going to behave in a manner which allows variety, you know, blah, 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 allowed more variety or more mix? Mm. <laughs> Who would like to... Herschel, you, you want to take that up? I can't see that happening. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, sorry. No, I'll, go, go ahead. I'll jump in there. I, I think that's the more interesting end of what could happen with Main Street Strips. Um, and we posed the question of... Uh, it's a really good point. We posed the question of how would Chadston Shopping Centre, the, the, the management, run Bridge Road if they were in charge? And, and clearly they'd do a, a number of different things that are much more difficult to do when you have multiple ownership. And, and council, and, and I, I guess I jumped in because I'm interested in to hear Herschel's view on whether it is council's role or whether, in fact, there's a separate governance model and certainly not my expertise, but wh whether there's that other much more interesting um, body 
that that takes on that role and and curates that so mm. that you get the good mix and you get the high quality public realm that Emma mm. talked about and all of those things that you would expect with a big shopping centre where they have ultimate management of it. Can I sorry? Can I just I just want to put something on top of that as well, and it goes back to something that Emma said. She talked about uh, whether Bridge Road, for example, is a destination for everybody outside to come into it, and that's what it thinks of as its audience, which I think that's what it was mm. for the you know 10, 15 years ago, or whether it's for the local quote-unquote community. That is to say it provides all the services, the activities, the events and everything for its catchment, not for people seeing it as a particular place that you go to. So, uh, you know, and, and I think that's what's interesting in, in what Robert has just brought up. That's, that's our strategy. Uh, that's our strategy at the moment is actually to go towards community and to attract our community walking, bicycle, uh, local people. That, that's, mm. that's what we're aiming, our strategy at marketing. Um, going back to the city, I remember when the city was absolutely wasteland. Uh, Chadston had opened, Southland had opened, and the city was gone. In the last uh, decade, we've had a, a massive population boom in the city, and that's revitalised the whole whole precinct. I mean, Swanson Street's a good example of... I mean, I've had shops in the city, and they were pretty bad in Swanson Street. Um, it was terrible. But now, look at it, it's fantastic. And it's created its own... Yeah. yeah. Mm. But, but it's, it's been a dual, um, a dual project. The city's invested and the retail's invested and it's been a great outcome. And that, to some effect, has affected Richmond, uh, Bridge Road because a lot of people prefer to go to, to the city now to shop. Um, but just getting the city of Yarra involved, my thinking was that the, the, the council should be actually marginalised a little bit because they don't seem to be taking ownership of the issue itself. They don't have the ability to. Um, it really needs the actual traders and the owners to actually take ownership of the street because they're the ones... Uh, I think one of the... From my, my thinking while we're at the Orange Jacket, it's, we need the owners and the traders to take ownership of the space again. They've been marginalised out of the space. They're not allowed to do anything, not allowed to say anything, and they sort of give up. Um, I would like to see them sort of take some of that ownership back again and start to express themselves in their spaces, um, how, they, how they, you know, represent their buildings, how they represent their, their, their structures, their, their communication, their space, their footpath. I'd like to see the traders actually take some confidence and take some chances and experiment. Um, at the moment, they're all afraid to do it because the council says you can't do it. Mm. Um, and it's a quite an oppressive policy setting. So that's, that's the switch over that I would like. Emma, you wanted to say something? Um, I think um, Jan Gell, who's been very influential in this city, in the city centre, I mean, I remember something that always stick with me, that a city has to be for its citizens first, and it's only at that point that the citizens are happy that visitors will come and be happy in your city. And I feel very similarly in the context of high streets in that unless you're serving the people who are your everyday users and the people who choose every day to go to you, then I think you're missing the trick. Um, I wanted to talk as well about commerciality um, because I do think, I mean, I, I, sit, I run the Design Review Panel and we see a lot of projects, we're looking at Fisherman's Bend at the moment, 
And it really concerns me about site-by-site-by-site by site by site negotiation in development terms. When we've got... This is, urban, this is urban renewal, and it needs a collective agenda, and it needs partnerships, which we've never had before. It's not just cold, hard development. It's not cold, hard negotiation about this space and this space. It's a different agenda. Um, and I think the third thing I wanted to say was, I think particularly with the densities we're beginning to see in the inner metro, I think we, you know, these places, the high streets, the, the public spaces off high streets, the secondary streets and public spaces are going to become so much important to the livability of this future city because the apartments we're building and the residential properties we're building are small. Um, and yeah. if we're going to go down that line, which I don't think we should because I don't think that's a sustainable strategy, but I think that we've really got to be serious about what public realm contributes to the livability of our city um, in both quantity and quality. Um, and I worry we're, we're pretty low on both. So, not to be negative. Ivan, you wanted to? Um, I'm, I'm, yes, I'd like to pick up on a couple of points and uh, particularly uh, one that uh, Mr Herschel raised, which was... Where does the council fit in? I'll give you an example. There was a, a furor over street trading in the city of Yarra. What happened was that at the Grace Darling Hotel, where there had been an external bench and table, it suddenly <laughs> disappeared. People couldn't drink there anymore. And it happened that uh, the Greens in Yarra Council had this attitude that um, neckings, which were widened footpaths on crossovers, um, are public open space, and that traders were taking them over, that traders were taking over public open space. Um, so what happened is I got involved in getting all the traders together, because as I'd seen uh, footpath trading develop, and I, I saw how positive it was for uh, the whole of the inner city, let alone um, city of Yarra. And uh, eventually we won the case, but it was one that was essentially non-contestable because you didn't have to get a planning permit for it. There was no right of appeal. It was purely political. So we had to force the issue by getting the press on side and eventually allowing traders to trade on necking areas. Now, when you look at the relationship between a trader and the space immediately outside. What happens in situations where it's managed really well is that because it's in the trader's interest to preserve the peace, to make sure that it's clean, to make sure that people are properly catered for, th they do that. Those areas that are left aligned is where trouble happens. So there's a symbiotic relationship between traders and the footpath and also uh, the local community. If you look at um, um, uh, all of these high streets, you can envisage, uh, instead of having all these different territories that are administered by different authorities, uh, one for the road, one for the tram lines, one for the footpaths, and the traders being um, told what to do, you know, what they, what they can do and what they can't do. Instead, you could have a kind of a vision of a something, a, a multi-function public space that might be paved, mm. that could accommodate slow-moving tra traffic and pedestrians to, um, so that you didn't have to escort people to the train. Out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so that you could, instead of channeling everything down these so-called high streets, that we could look at a different form of distribution, not just for um, traffic, but also for retailing. Because if you take the pressure off the high streets, uh, the rents will go down. It's going to be... You'll probably be in a better competitive position if some of the side streets start developing <laughs> and we spread out in two directions. <laughs> um, can I... Uh, I'll make uh, one or two other comments. Um, firstly, um, we touched on government intervention. And it's, I think you have to understand that the City of Melbourne and the State Government actually encouraged have encouraged a lot of retail to come to the city. They've invested time, money and effort to make sure certain retailers have come to, to the city of Melbourne. So therefore, councils or governments, I think, do have a role in playing, in getting the right players mm. there. I'd also note, take, uh, I disagree with your idea that uh, strip that the that the the high street is about the local community, because I think no, if you local communities first. Well, yes, um, <laughs> yes, okay. I'll, I understand the serving the needs, but if I was to look at the I was to look at the best retailers and why certain streets work, those retailers. Now, if we look at Brunswick Street, I'd pick out something like Flowers Bar Z. It's been in business for 25 years. I'd look at um, uh, Armadale, High Street Armadale, Scanlon and Theodore, which has transformed that part now. And, and so what I'm getting at, Brunetti's in Carlton. Now, those retailers, what they've done is obviously they understand their community, they understand their location, and they behave locally, but they also think globally. You know, it's like good retail is thinking local and acting global. So they understand that, yes, they understand they're about where they are, but they don't think... I'm just dealing with that local community. So just a point with that one. I also think we have to understand that there is far too much retail, and retail has to go. So therefore, it's up to government or up to council or up to someone to think about what they do with the high streets. And maybe there's a huge opportunity to actually rethink. So if you had, if you thought about a high street as a city, what is the mixed use for that? And maybe, maybe half of the stores have just got to go. And that's what you've got to think about. So is it offices? Is it retail? Is it residential? Mm. Or a hospital Yeah, go ahead, quick. <laughs> just to come back on that. Um, I do think there's a very important point in there is around flexibility of built form mm. to enable places to change over time, adaptability. And that's something we've probably really got to push very hard for in our new high streets, such as Plumber Street in the Bend, um, and we'll have several others coming forward over time. Um, I would say that I totally agree there's aspects of absolute destinational, um, but they're sort of few and far between, I would say, like in terms of those examples. I, I go across town to find those places, and I, you know, across town to see Carpenter and the Walrus and the Carpenter. There's all of these sort of places, but they're specials. And, and they go in those places because they know there's a demographic that, that will travel to come to them, but they're also very strongly like, you know, they really have a, a sense of they want to belong to that place. Uh, and they, they root there and they're very important, and I don't want to undermine that. But you can also, you know, go to so many other things in Brunswick Street or those other places which are complementary. And they're different, they're different consumers. Yeah. Okay, we, we've Curation. got, I think, 
we've probably got about five more minutes or so, something like that. I just want to, before we kind of, I mean, we can come back or we'll keep going uh, informally. I wanted to sort of, not necessarily wrap up, but to, to come back to, in a certain way, almost where we started when Helen gave the introduction and when I made mention of the model that's in the back. A lot of this, as my role here from the Melbourne School of Design, was that this was also a design exercise. And Helen mentioned about what it meant to do research through design. That is to say, looking at the sort of possibilities by actually doing something, not just saying, oh, what are the problems, oh, what are the issues, but what are the possibilities formally on the ground in terms of urban design, in terms of architecture, in terms of landscape. So I wonder if both Helen and, and Orlando, who worked very closely with the studio, and maybe even Ivan, who, who came and set in, I think, on, on some of the exercises, and Herschel, I think, was involved to a, to a certain degree. So anyway, uh, what has that role? Because, for instance, uh, Emma picked out an idea that actually the high street, or at least Bridge Road, is far too long. It needs to be cut up into three pieces. And so the question of what are the sort of morphological prop propositions, the very notion of the of the uh, hinterland is about seeing it differently than this linear connection, but what happens when we go perpendicular to the street itself? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think the design research is super important to inform strategies. So there's often not that luxury when you're in government to, to take that time actually to really interrogate, invest, test, refine, and I think this was urban designers. So I think urban designers are very much in the business of cross-fielding across economics, public domain, art, architecture, um, in this case, the retail conversation. So it allows you, um, and I think the students did a, an excellent job of, of teasing out the spatial implications of that. So I think also in the world of government, we can get into the weasel world, box ticking, generic conversations. And this is actually getting down into problem solving and specifics. So I think um, the more of that, the kind of courses that, that Don are running, the better, um, because it starts to feed back into the, the food chain of government and policy, and also just broader city conversations such as this. So. That's very important. I mean, I think um, for me, the students may not have been thinking as broadly as high-level economic um, theory, but um, in spatial theory, there are very important concepts around agglomeration economics, and it's mm. the kind of things that we have just been talking about, the curatorial, the what attracts, what types of investors, where they go, um, Gertrude Street, I think when you unpa start unpacking that as an agglomeration economist, you start to say, well, Gertrude Street, major institution there, probably set to move soon, but uh, <laughs> um, has been a big force field. When you start looking at the people who have invested in that high street, the stayers, the long-time owners and investors on that street, they go there, Emma touched on it, because they're the like-minded. It's to do with clustering. So if Robert's hinting at fast-tracking curatorial initiatives, I say yes for Fisherman's Bend, um, because sometimes it's necessary. The, the market's moving so quickly, and it requires that level of leadership. I'm not sure that our studio at Melbourne Uni 
quite touched on that, but I would say intuitively and with hunches, the students were looking at those kind of issues. And um, these hunches are actually very important, I think, the kind of, um, the, if you like, from Sesame Street, my favourite street reference, the sort of the word on the ground, the word on the street, the hunches. Um, these are all important. So I'm not sure if it's quite answered your question, Don, but I think, yeah, the studio revealed the value of the hinterland, absolutely. And I think Melbourne, um, City of Melbourne recognises this. And I would say in reference to Ivan's uh, anecdote about the, the spaces that people adopted, I think the City of Melbourne, it's very soft, but at a policy level, they, if they see something like this happen, they don't ignore it. They actually start to embrace it. They say, what are these people doing that? Why are they doing that? How can we bring this on? How can we cater for this? Is it bad? Is that something that needs to be regulated? So I think these are so, sort of soft policy areas. They show tremendous leadership on that front. Any entrepreneur coming into the city with has an open door and they will do what they can within their means to facilitate that. Mm. So if it has public value, if it's in line with their broad vision, why wouldn't they? And I think, to be honest, I think some local government is not about that. Mm. So... How do you transform? How do you, how do you transform? <laughs> how do you bring it across? How do you, how do you migrate that sort of idea? Mm. That's a very long conversation, but I would probably say I think leadership is, is pretty key. Mm. And there's some s sort of invested stayers of 30 years in the city of Melbourne, so they've been mm. very lucky to um, probably have... And there's externalities as well. But I think, you know, that's a conversation. I will stop there. Yeah. Orlando. Orlando, would you like the last yeah, word? Yeah, just very quickly. I know in discussions that we had with City of Yarra, I'm not sure if we've got people from City of Yarra here, um, their, their comment was, in terms of that design thinking that came out of the studio, was um, they get an incredible amount of input from the various universities and, and other institutions. So I guess the question is not so much that is that design thinking... Um, um, valuable and valued um, but it comes back to that probably that thing that I touched on which is that um, combined wisdom what do you then do with it mm -hmm. and, and I don't think I, I think they sort of openly said to us and I won't speak for City of Yarra but they said we, we, we don't exactly know what to do with it and, and there's no surprise there because probably a lot of us don't but how do you capture that wisdom from studios from the community, from all of these things, and, and do something creative and useful with it. Okay. Where does, where does the leadership come from? From leaders. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going we're gonna to have to end it here, but actually not end it per se. Uh, what I would suggest is that you get a beer, uh, a coffee, uh, a glass of wine, that uh, some of the people like Helen and Orlando uh, and other people from TRACT and some of the students that are here, maybe they could speak about some of the work that took place uh, in the design sessions and that this conversation could keep going for a little bit longer. But I wanted to, first of all, thank uh, M Pavilion for hosting this, yes. for allowing us to have this conversation. And we also want to thank very much Tract. Uh, and their incredible efforts in looking at Bridge Road and not just being a community member, but seeing it uh, as a project and as a future uh, development as well. So thank them very much.
And if I can just uh, thank the panelists. So uh, Helen, Orlando, Herschel, Richard, Emma, and Ivan, thank you very much for being here. Thank you very much for offering your thoughts. And uh, thank you for sitting through this very lovely, if slightly chilly, uh, Tuesday afternoon, evening. Thank you very much.